0: All right, folks, this program today won't be uh, starting live. If uh, I'll probably be able to monitor the chat. I'm off to the uh, hospital. My daughter has some treatment that she has, some some post-stroke treatment that she's going to be having today, and I need to be with her. But the show must go on. Politics stops for no one. Politics never ends. So please don't leave, enjoy the program. I made sure to have a full program for you today. So stick around and hear it out. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Enright. I'm Egberto, Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. We have the honor of having Keisha Blair. Miss Blair is a trained economist and extensive, ex- has ex- experience in the public, private, and not for-profit sector. She was part of the Prime Minister's delegations to World Economic Forum in 2018, as well as the East Asia Summit in Singapore. She led events such as the Most Powerful Women Summit in Montreal, Canada, and the Fortune Global Forum. She is a graduate of Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. of the Executive Leadership Program at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government and has an MSc in Public Policy from Carleton University in Ottawa. She is the author of Holistic Wealth, 36 Life Lessons to Help You Recover from Disruption, Find Your Life Purpose, and Achieve Financial Freedom, and is the founder of Institute on Holistic wealth welcome to politics done right miss Blair how are you doing today
1: I'm good and thank you so much for having
0: me well you know we'll we'll, we'll have it no other way anyway I'm um, after after getting your information that you you have you touch on all the topics that we discuss here at Kate, at um at politics done right so we're happy to have you thank you so kindly for being with here with us how are you doing I'm good
1: I'm good and how are you
0: I am fine. Well, anyhow, let, let's let get started. Um, What's going on in the economy as you see it today throughout the world?
1: <clears throat> uh, like I, I there's so much going on, so much economic disruption, you know, and I think we're all feeling it in our pockets. Uh, we see the rising food prices, rising oil prices. There's high inflation. Uh, interest rates are growing, uh, going up as governments try to stem the high inflation by using um, that tool of monetary policy. And so people will see their mortgages going up. They'll see the cost of living going up. And it will seem tight because salaries have been stagnant. Uh, But that's what's going on. And and we know with the Russia-Ukraine war, that has caused several disruptions to transportation, supply chain disruptions. Uh, You know, several products such as wheat, um, you know, with with the Ukraine being the world's breadbasket have been affected. So I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, There have been predictions that it will get worse. We might be going into a recession towards the end of the year.
0: Let me make- stop you there, because I hear those predictions all around. What are yes. your thoughts and not the predictions? Because as an economist, what's your own belief as far as uh, when you look at these stats that, that are really out there? Because I have some myself.
1: Yeah, OK, I, I definitely. So I, I, I do think that we will end up in some sort of a recession You know, based on when you look at history, and I did mention in my book too that you know we've seen these crises before. I did mention the 2000 to 2009 period as the last decade, and I had mentioned in the book too that I'm hoping that this one won't become another last decade. But it's looking, it's looking likelier and likelier given what's happening globally and geopolitically. Now, I, I do think we are headed there. Uh, but we have to watch to see what's going to happen. Uh, but as, as an economist, uh, the signs are there. And it's, it's a hard balance, right, with, with increasing interest rates. It's a hard balance with what's going on with war, with COVID-19. There are so many factors at place.
0: You know, um, Ms. Blair, I am not an economist. I'm an engineer, but who studied economics in college as well. And, you know, one of the things that the diff- that differs between, let's say, engineering and let's say the stock brokers, et cetera, is we don't buy into um, what I like to call non math and, uh, you know, I have you on as one of our, you know, of our leading economists. We're also having Richard Wolff on and a couple other economists on. And what I've been trying to do is probe economists as to uh, what I call the insanity factor of our economic system, where we go through these things. I mean, you just mentioned in your, in, in your monologue there that um, you hope this is not a lost decade, but based on how things are going, it just could be, again, and unfortunately based on how things work i agree with you sadly and but the insanity of doing things over and over again the same way puzzles me so my question my question to you is isn't it time for us to revamp the current modal the current economic system that we have to one that actually makes sense
1: yeah, no, absolutely. I'm all for economics getting a refresh. I'm all for the economy getting a refresh. It's something I talk about in holistic wealth and why I even came up with holistic wealth. If we look at it, at the economy from a macro perspective, you know, there's so much income inequality. We have a racial wealth gap. We have certain groups that are shut out of this capitalist system. It, it it's, it's one of those pet peeves of mine too. And I, I see you smiling because it's an economy that's exploitative. We pull, 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 and we're not giving enough back. We're not giving enough back. And the system hasn't worked for a lot of folks. It hasn't worked for a lot of our minority communities, for our, our, our women, children, the most vulnerable among us. And so I definitely think we need a redistribution. I'm all for, you know, when we talk about the racial wealth gap, we talk about reparations. I'm all for, you know, policies like that, because I believe that there are some wrongs that weren't right, that weren't made right before. And we're going down a path that's not sustainable. COVID-19 showed us that it's not sustainable, right? And we look at the interplay between wealth, health, or mental health and all of that, it's, it's showing us, and even the environment, it's showing us that where we were not on a path to sustainability, we were doing the opposite. So definitely, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where we definitely need to not think about going back to that old normal. We need to think about creating this new normal and what we want our post-pandemic lives to look like
0: now what where I think it's so important for what you write, what you promote, what you talk about to our audience and others, uh especially since you have the pedigree the credentials to say it, I don't you do um uh, is to um that people understand that an economy isn't something that is divine or our economic system isn't divine, it is actually. Man-made. And notice I didn't say person made. I said man made for certain people who are invited into the game. And um, it, it, we need more people like you out there, uh, not just activists like myself, letting people know how uh, this is an economy that's actually behaving exactly as it should, don't you think? Or exactly as it was designed
1: exactly as it was designed. And, you know, it's unbelievable, the level of income inequality that we have right now. And I mentioned in the book that it's the number one economic problem. It's the number one problem that we have in the world. When you look at the growth in incomes of billionaires during the first half of COVID-19, when you look at certain companies and how they've profited from this, it's just unbelievable. And so we've set up an economy where a few benefit. And the vast majority don't. We saw where the deaths took place. We saw the people who were most vulnerable out there, the essential workers, transportation, um, drivers, mechanics, people going out there and facing it and dying while others were more protected. Now, I, I do believe that we can, if there's that will, we can shape our economy to be more inclusive and to be more equitable, and I think that's the route we need to go when we look at our post-pandemic lives. We can absolutely reshape, we can absolutely start to right some of those wrongs, and we can start to look at, at having a, a post-COVID economy that's more equitable.
0: Miss Blair, in the context of your book, then because a lot of this is covered, uh, what can we do to empower folks? What are the the thirty six life life lessons, or at least some of the thirty six life lessons that uh, folks should actually take into making a better uh, a better a betterment for us all? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Yeah, so it's, it's, it, it can be
1: looked at uh, at the personal level as well as the state level. And when we talk about, let's say macro the state level, you know, in the back of the book, I have this holistic wealth index uh, that is kind of like a uh, a framework that organizations can use, that state level governments can use.
0: I don't want to, to interrupt, decisions. but I have to I, I don't want to interrupt, but I have to. What exactly is holistic wealth? yep,
1: yeah, so holistic wealth is the interconnection between these critical pillars, so. It's the financial uh, wealth. It's the uh, mental and emotional health. It is your physical health and your life purpose and spirituality and relationships as well in that. So all of that, I think, is, is that interplay between all of those factors and why we need to look at our economy more holistically. We need to look at our personal finances and our lives more holistically. We've seen the great resignation wave. That's also part of that organic trend Mm -hmm. towards I want to live a life that's more authentic. I don't want to be just a number or stat. I want to live that life that gives me that balance, that joy, that meaning. And that's what we've seen some trends here that have been basically, that have been basically predicated on this whole holistic world concept now for some time. It's just that, it wasn't there before in terms in terms of a book and it wasn't there in terms of our, our vocabulary or way of communicating it. But all the trends that we're seeing now with a passion economy worth over 80 billion, with the great resignation wave, with people looking at how they can live a more meaningful life. I mean, COVID-19 has spurred that. So when we think about holistic wealth, when we think about organizations, when we think about governments around the world, this is a tool, this is a framework that we can all use to shape this post-pandemic era. And it's so funny, in the book I talk about a little about economics too, and how we focus too much on our, um, so you have these, these moral um, resources and the economic resources. And we focus too much on our economic resources, not enough on our moral resources. And our moral resources are our relationships, they're our people, our labor force, the partnerships, the way we collaborate to help each other the way we reach out to help each other. Those are the moral resources that we'll need to pull in. We need to have an economy that's more focused on or moral resources when we shape our post-pandemic world rather than those economic resources that we always think about. And so what we think about is in extractive terms in exploitative terms. When we think about it in more moral terms, then I think we'll come closer
0: to what we want that life to look like, what we want our economies to look like. Ms. Blair, I mean, I I could not have said that any better. You're speaking directly to everything that I preach. Thank you. Uh, I mean, you do not know what it means to me to have an economist in the Western world say that I'm on. to have Richard Wolff on. I don't know if you ever heard of Richard Wolf right here in, in, um, in the United States. Um, he teaches at, at uh, uh, not Yale, uh, uh, Princeton, I think it is. And he's gonna be on with us and he speaks the same language. And I've been trying to get more economists that can come out to the folks and let them understand that it's not solely about that economic piece that you speak about. Because right. think about this, uh, Ms. Blair, think about this. We have in corporations right now the executives that you know, you know what you know, you know the, the what the workers have been going through over the last several years. Yes. Yeah. and uh, and we also know that corporate profits are sky high, even in yeah. and they're sky high, and we have all these guys sitting pretty up there saying, "Well, I got me a great bonus." I mean, look how great we were able to increase profits, increase productivity. Not realizing that that wasn't you doing it, right? It was those guys down there doing it. But you are taking the spoils. Our economy is designed to be extractive, and the ones that don't work do it. And yeah. it's folks like yourself and the book that you promote that in, that bring that promotes bringing people up that makes the difference. So I mean, um, you don't know how happy I am to have yet another economist mm-hmm. validating these particular um these these particular issues so tell me um how can we first of all i mean it it is hard for those who are in in Panama we'd say viviendo la vida loca living that life how do we get those that are living that life understand that what they're doing really is um promoting what I call antiseptic slavery of the masses how do we allow them to see that
1: Yeah, I I think it's just what we're doing here now. And it's unbelievable because I think what they're doing isn't sustainable long term. Thank you. Thank you. It isn't sustainable. It's an unsustainable model. You have to look at you. You only have to look at what's happening with Amazon, with Tesla. Workers are going to wake up. They're going to realize that this has not served them. It's not serving their families This is becoming life and death. And some of the decisions that workers are making right now, whenever they step out to go to work, have been life and death during COVID-19. And COVID-19 has really shed light on that. The fact that it really is unsustainable. So they're building company models that are unsustainable. And they're building models that no longer work and will no longer work. That's why we have things like the passion economy, where workers are getting up on you know, Etsy, they're going on Shopify to create their own businesses. They're going on on different mm-hmm. platforms uh, to create their own business and really tap into their passions, into their skills and what they can provide. And so I think we're going to see a blossoming of more of that. The Great Resignation Wave, you know, when it started in 2020, people were saying, oh, maybe this will, you know, this will fizzle. As economists, we have not seen it fizzle. it's gotten it's gotten worse. It's gotten more structured, more solidified. And I think it's something that they're going to have to wake up and realize. And companies are. They are waking up and they are realizing. So let's hope that it's for the good of all, it's for the benefit of all workers, that they do wake up and realize it's not sustainable. And of course, you know, there are people out there, other economists like myself, who are also talking about this trying to raise more awareness, you're also talking about it, and, and people are talking amongst themselves. I think we will see some change, hopefully for the better for all of us, uh, you know, so that we have a more uh, economic model, a sustainable economic model.
0: You know, uh, Gar Alperovitz he's an economist, a professor out here at, um, I think, uh, I don't remember, the American I don't remember where it's at he's a historian as well What who who which university he works with, but uh he started to talk about the collective where where you know i mean instead of uh, exxon being run by all these executives et cetera that it's the you know they have a collective body and they they grow together or they fail together and if they if they fail they fail if they grow they grow, but everybody partakes a, partake of the spoils it is oh. uh, as you said it is something that i think given the unsustainability of the, the, the economic system that we have that we're going to have to get to. Now, fighting that 10 percent that controls everything, those that we call the managerial level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they're powerful. They're the ones that control the media. They're the ones that control everything. So they uh, uh, let me give an example. Uh, programs like mine actually get throttled. So what we throttle I don't know if you know the term throttle on the internet, which okay, so we get throttle. So what we do is we have to go around it using old technologies and all of that to get our to get our information to others. And it just slows down the process of educating the the masses. But again, uh what you do, what you write, what you promote, and what others do, I think it is so essential for us to eventually break that uh break that glass. So um before we go, tell us a little bit about uh about in more specific to your book now, as opposed to just specific to what we're talking about, talk a little bit about your book and why you think folks could get should get it, what they can get out of your book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it, the book is holistic wealth, 36 life lessons to help you recover from disruption, find your life purpose, and achieve financial freedom. And as the book title suggests, there are certain 36 chapters there that that help you to really, you know, uh, find meaning, purpose in life. And and of course, in terms of that financial pillar to, to achieve financial freedom. And I think, you know, with what we started off talking about with the economy and the high inflation, people really feeling it in their pockets. It's a really good time for us to focus on, you know, the financial piece, on the mental health piece and, and all of that's covered in the book, and there are strategies in there that people can use in terms of getting out of debt, you know how you budget, your money management, investing for the long term, and of course, there are pieces in there in terms of a, you know like finding a personal mission and how you write out your personal mission statement and and living with purpose and meaning. And so this book has been, you know, very dear to me. It stems from my personal story of having been widowed at only 31 and having to go through that grief and 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 really, you know, go through that disruption and master it. And so there's a whole thesis in the book about mastering the art of recovery from disruption. And I know we're all collectively in that space right now even if you haven't lost a loved one or even if you haven't you know gone through any major disruption aside from covid that we are still in this collectively we are still in this period of disruption where we we're looking for answers you know and we're we're looking for a way out we're looking for a way to craft that life that we really want so this book is a tool in that toolkit. It's it's um, very good for really getting practical tips and strategies for crafting that living a life of holistic wealth. And so it's available everywhere online right now, and you know in bookstores. And people can just grab a copy. It's it's also a great gift to give. Um, and it's so in line with what we've been talking about and mm-hmm. how people can really take hold of their lives, get their power back. Because I know with this economy. A lot of people feel powerless. A lot of people feel like they've lost control of their lives because of the type of income inequality and and, and the the wealth gap that we've seen. But here are some strategies here that can make you feel more empowered to take the decisions you need to to own your life and to take back some of that control. Um, So I'm happy to share it. And I'm glad that, you know, uh, we can have this conversation because there are things we can do you know, it might feel like, you know, everything's out of control, but we do still have a lot of control in terms of our own personal lives.
0: Let me tell you, I never feel out of control. I always feel in control and going out there and getting a damn thing done. So, uh and that's okay. what I try to promote on my, uh, on my program. And that's why I have people who think the same way, like you, you went out there and did something about it to empower others. So I think that is just wonderful that's out there and I'll, I I will definitely want to promote not only personalities but books and all of that that's empowering people as opposed to being as you mentioned before that extractive taking something and leaving nothing back the last question I always ask my distinguished guests is what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't wow
1: that's a tough
0: one it's usually uh, so <laughs>
1: it is tough I can't think of anything and I can't think of anything right now. I think the points that i brought forward are points that were perfect for the show and, and and for people listening in. Uh, but yeah, I think it's 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 been great. I can't think of anything.
0: Well, you know what uh, that that means. I I kind of did my job. So look, I I, I appreciate that. Look, uh, Miss Keisha Blair, a trained economist and ex- uh, with extensive experience, I'm the author of. Holistic Wealth, 36 Life Lessons to Help You Recover from uh, Disruption, Find Your Life Purpose, and Achieve Financial Freedom. It's been my honor to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Absolutely.
1: And thank you so much for having me.
0: We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh it goes it flies above the fray etc if you really like these videos that we do i want to ask a big favor please go ahead number 1 subscribe to our channel and number 2 please join if you can thank you so kindly for watching keep watching please remember to share we must populate the entire internet with our progressive message a message that we know is what most americans say that they want so help us please join you know uh it, it is interesting, but right now, if you take a look at how Republicans intend or believe they're going to win 2022, it's, it's mind-buffling, right? Because if right now Democrats started hammering the truth on just info, infomercials like I see Republicans doing— Right now, if you turn on the TV in Washington, D.C., or if you turn on your TV elsewhere, they're talking about what Biden has done for crime, what Biden has done to create inflation, what Biden has done with all these different particular issues. And you know what you hear from Democrats? For the most part, nothing. So what they are allowing in effect is the cauterization of that Message from Republicans to actually get into the psyche of people. And after you get there, it is hard for the, after believing something for three months, for four months, for six months, without a comeback, if Democrats believe they're going to come in, let's say June and July and August and start saying how wrong Republicans are, first of all, The amount of people that are going to hear that message, just hear the message, not even have to process the message, just hear the message. It's not going to be a lot. Because what we have right now is every day that Republicans put this message on air, every day that they send out a whole lot of emails, every day that they send out Twitter Twitter messages, that they send out Instagrams, that they send out TikToks, that they send out uh, Facebook memes. Every day, that goes out consistently. They have people from all over the world that are there misinforming over and over again. And from Democrats, yeah, you have independent media like what we do. We try to create a whole lot of videos. We try to create a lot of memes. We try to create, uh, uh radio programs. We write, we, we do that, but we don't have the masked, the mass cash that let's say the DNC, the SSCC and the DSCC, the DSSSC has. We don't have that. So what do we do? We, we have, first of all, this is what I've started telling those who follow what we do. This is what I've been talking to on Medium, Substack, uh, Twitter, Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> I know you laugh when you heard Tumblr. Uh, uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's one thing. We want to elect progressives. If we want to do that, people, here's what we have to do. We cannot depend on the consultants that Democrats depend on. I've given you examples of being in in different organizations, nonprofit organizations, where we've hired consultants and paid them $10,000, $16,000 for consultation. And (laughs) after doing that, I remember telling one of our board members, shoot, I would have taken $2,000 to give you that advice Hell, I give you that advice for free. You just don't listen to it. But I you know what I'm saying is the following. There there, there is some madness here. And you wonder how many in the democratic uh intelligentsia, how much of it is just uh doing whatever it is to make a dollar as opposed to support what we know the people need, support support, support, make sure that the right people get elected. Sometimes I even think that because Democrats as a whole are getting more progressive, that our, you know, middle of the line Democrats are willing to take a few losses to maintain that status quo, to overbalance on the right, to take care of all the good things that we really want. And we have shown a lot of people want on the left. So we have all those that are misinforming. You wonder sometimes, right? So, um, the, first, the first marching order here is we must be a part, those of you who are Democrats and want progressives to win. Yes, you have to work as a part, institutionalized within the Democratic Party, but it's not enough. You have to go out there and be, you know, for those of you who are, are, are Christians or Bible readers. I remember that when, at the time that I was a Christian, I'm a humanist now, you heard that thing that said, be fishers of men. In those days, that's how they said. I mean, be fishers of people, right? We have to go out there and not individually tell the message, but also teach folks how they themselves must multiply to tell the message and get away from the minutia that we have coming. You know, recently, I, I subscribed to uh, uh, the Hartman Report, the substack that Tom Hartman has. And, you know, he does a lot of research. He's a well-read man. He has a show, the Hartman, uh, the, the Hartman Show, the Tom Hartman Show, that I, I watch whenever I get a chance. And you guys have seen me bring Tom Hartman on several times. Well, Tom Hartman put out a, a, a piece recently that I want to expand on with this dialogue that I'm having here with you. I want to show you that on, on the screen real quick. Tom Hartman came out with a piece, and he titled the piece, um, let me get to the title, Why Blue State's Living Makes You Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. And then his subtitle was, If You Want to Carry a Gun in Public, Earn Crap Wages, and don't care about access to healthcare or your kid's education, move to a red state. But get ready, because all they have left is hate and fear. And you see, hate and fear is powerful, right? Hate and fear is very powerful because it works on that animal part of your brain. And in working on that animal part of your brain, you react, you don't think first. You react. And that is what we have to get around as progressives. We have to go out there with a message that doesn't only give the mathematics, the arithmetic, the economics, the economic rules, the economic laws of the things we support. We just have to talk to people on that bread and butter level. And if we do that... We reach it. People always say, um, uh, we speak to your mind, Republicans speak to your heart. I say Republicans speak to your hate. Let's not mistake your heart with your hate. It's very important that you don't see that. But in that light, Tom Hartman brought out several topics, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to start with Tom Hartman's piece, which is a great piece. Check it out. I have it indexed in the blog for the show. But Tom Hartman uh, talked about in in there about the crime rate. We know what they did to uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson at the Supreme Court. They made her seem like in as much as her rulings were right in line with all the other Supreme Court judges, they made it look like she was loose on crime. She was weak on crime. She didn't punish crime appropriately as if punishing crime in all phases make sense right you know smoking a bat smoking a marijuana should should warrant a large prison sentence right and throw the book at them and and if a kid happens to go to a website and there is pictures of naked girls and you don't necessarily know these girls are underage or whatever but they are and you just kind of like a kid's curiosity keep looking at it and Somehow your computer gets confiscated and those pictures are on. Oh my God, what happens then? Oh, you see, you see those, you, you see what turns out to be. Uh, oh my God, naked pictures on this kid's computer. He's a pedophile. No, he's not a pedophile. He's He's doing what... Millions of young men do, right? Uh, when they're curious, they're not trying to go ahead and pick up some little girl and do something with. They're just curious, right? They're seeing this thing, and the moral, the 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 moral right comes and they attack and them to, to at no order. They just attack, right? But they have kids, and I bet if their kids did something of that sort, they wouldn't want the book thrown at them. But saying, hey, that is not healthy for your mind, or or, or, or that that sort of a thing, right? But that is one of the issues. Oh, whether you have 10 pictures versus a thousand pictures, you know, a kid can go to a page that has porn on it and a thousand pictures appear in his in his cache. For those of us who understand how understand how the internet, how browsers work, We know that when browsers go to a page, it pulls down everything from that page, throws it into a folder, and you can do a search on your computer's cache and see all those naked pictures, whether you viewed it or not, right? But they don't tell you that, right? It just sounds sensational. This kid had this many thousands pictures of underage kids. It could be that he didn't even go to an underage page, but because that page indexed something else, a lot of that got thrown on his computer, and he doesn't know. It's just in the cache. In a storage area and a computer, there are a lot of these things nobody tells you, right? So, Democrats are weak in crime, and ca- and and she goes ahead and she puts out, she does, she she uses her sense to understand. I'm not going to destroy a 17 or 18 year old kid's life because one of curiosity and because two technology. I'm not going to do that, and most judges. On the circuit court. That's what they believe as well. And that's how they ruled. And they made it look like she did that and that all progressives are weak on crime. Well, you know what? It's good for them to know. It's good for them to know that let's use their metrics. Let's use Republican metrics on Republicans. Let's go to red states. You know what? The red state, the, here, here's the here's article from uh, The Third Way, not some progressive site, just a site looking at the numbers, right? The rate of murders in the U.S. has gone up at an alarming rate, but despite a media narrative to the contrary, this is a problem that affects Republicans-run cities and states as much or more than Democratic bastions. In 2020, per capita murder rates were 40% percent higher in states won by Donald Trump than those won by Joe Biden. Eight of the 10 states with the highest murder rates in 2020 for the Republican presidential nominee in every election this century. Again, again, it is important for that message to sink in. And you can read that piece uh, that's linked from Tom's report as well. But again, 8 out of 10 states with the highest murder rates in 2020 voted for the Republican presidential nominee in every election this century, all right? So if we follow Republican methodology, we could easily say that Republican states are a clear and present danger to your survival. Republican states have higher murder rates and because they have higher murder rates, it means that the policies that they institute are policies of failure, right? So here we have Republicans hitting Democrats on the crime rate, the crime wave as they put it, even though it's nowhere close to what it was in the 70s. but they put it, they want to throw crime on Democrats. You don't see a big, huge pushback from Democrats that come out and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The states with the highest crime rates are Republican states. The states with the most murders are Republican states. And, you know, we can draw some inferences to that. You guys have very loose gun laws, and we've been trying to have better gun laws to protect our citizens. In our blue states, we protect our citizens. They don't die as much from murder. In fact, 40 percent less. They die than in red states. Why don't we see every time in every market where you see a commercial blaming Democrats and progressives on crime, we should have an immediate and a fast response that says crime rates in red states are 40% higher than in blue states. What did your governor do for you lately? What did your, what did your, did your red uh, co- uh, congressional state or your red, uh, what is it the representatives do for you lately? What did your congressional delegation do for you lately? Why don't we fight back with, now, I mean, it's a facts, right? But remember what we say, Republicans talk to your heart, we talk to the mind. What about if we decided to talk to the heart And the mind. How do we talk to the heart on murder? If you live in a red state under red control and you don't start electing progressives, you are going to die. A lot of your relatives are going to die because the policies that we they promote are policies that kill. If you go to a blue state, much better because you have a less likelihood of being killed. They may bring up Baltimore, they may bring up other places. All you have to do is go into the rural areas. You see what they don't tell you, right? They, they like to count the murder rates in big cities. But if you have a city of 10,000, you'll come Texas and find out that 10 people got shot because of easy gun laws and they go to their, their, their rinky-dinky bar and they shoot up each other. It doesn't make a lot of national news because guess where? It's in rural areas and all the cosmopolitan reporters and the, and even the Republicans themselves, they don't live in those rural areas. They just use those people in the rural areas as they closed their hospitals and all of that. They don't care about those people in rural areas. They just care about their vote. And what we have to show to these people, and we need to go into the rural areas as well and show, hey, that hospitals that being closed is not because of the other, it's the other people. But anyway, let's continue with how Democrats and progressives should be out there telling the truth, right? What, what else is quite easy? You know, getting diseases, you know? They like to bring up the morality of states, right? Guess where you find chlamydia and all these different diseases? Let's go for the, 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 the five highest, huh? Alaska, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina. And you want to know the states with the lowest infections? Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Utah. So again, bad for your health. But here's the thing. Let's say you get chlamydia accidentally. You get something accidentally. Guess what about those red states as well? Guess what? Those red states don't give you health care, right? They don't give you health care. Because again... They don't want the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act because it is bad for you. Of course it's not. What I'm trying to tell you is, Democrats, you wonder, why is it that they fail to fight the true fight? When it comes to fiscal responsibility, right? We always talk about personal responsibility, you know, that whatever happened to that, right? Personal responsibility. Well, it turns out that even in that case, red states, you know, they're beggar states. They they are so fiscally irresponsible. You know, a lot of people in blue states eventually move to red states and you have the red state people saying, well, if those blue states are so great, why are all those people from California moving to Texas and, and, and why are they moving to Florida, these red states, right? Because these blue states people are being fiscally responsible. They earn their monies in the blue states where things they have education, health care, and all of that. And when they've amassed their capital, they have mobility and they move to the blues to the red states, which don't tax them anything. So in effect, they've made a good fiscal judgment. But for those people who reside in those states, The price of low taxes means closed hospitals, mean poor education, means poor healthcare, means poor environment, mean all these things that make your lives much more difficult. All these things that tear across the fabric of humanity. So what do you do then? It is time to construct the entire narrative. And how do you construct that narrative? You know, if you go into downtown Houston, downtown Dallas, and all these great places, it's beautiful. All the wealthy, upper-middle-class people, the rich people, have these beautiful subdivisions, and a lot of these subdivisions are outside the purview of these big cities, but the big cities support the, the ability to have those beautiful suburbs on the outside. And then you have the rural parts of the exurbs and all of that, that progressively gets poorer. They have to fight their way into the suburbs for work or into the cities for work. Their commute times are longer. Uh, their healthcare is substandard. The hospitals at the far reaches of these egg and into the rural areas are disappearing because they cannot afford to support a smaller, more sparse population. So we have to show in places like Texas where, you know, the person driving in from the rural areas come into the city and see beauty, see wealth. Then they drive back home to a closing hospitals, and they say the reason why my hospital is closing is because those folks living in the city are taking everything from us. We and then the, the Republicans, who are the ones who are instituting the policies that allow that, right? They're out there telling the rural folks, "Hey, you see what's happening in the city? So you have to create the story. You have to point out to these people, we want to build your hospital, but." your Congress people don't want to charge all those wealthy people coming in from blue states and taking advantage of low taxes that hurt you, that make sure your hospital closes. That is the reason why Republicans are doing that to you. And when it comes to abortion, you know, the health care that you need to teach your kids not to go out there and do those bad things that the church is failing at, but you can't say the church is failing at, even though the church is failing at. You can't tell them that, but you do, right? So it is imperative as you go over and over again to start telling these stories. Because if we tell, you know, Obama got, people started to tease Obama about telling the story. What story are you gonna tell that we have 8.5% inflation? Uh, that we have a supply chain problem? Obama, I don't know if you responded to that, but I would like to respond to that. Yeah, I would like to tell the story about the 8.5% ref- uh, inflation as the failure of Republicans' support of pol- policies within the private sector, the corporate structure. I would like, Republicans are always, and, and neoliberal Democrats, of course, are always given uh, 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 carte blanche to corporations, I want to let them know that inflation isn't uh, something that uh, happened out of the blue. Inflation is not there because things cost more at the back end. Inflation is there because corporations have price and power and our economic system allows them to exist and screw you. And use as an excuse a war, a pandemic, and a supply chain problem, all of which... They created, but Egberto didn't create the pandemic. Yes, they did. When Donald Trump was screwing up and lying to the American people, the corporate structure could have stepped in. They knew what was going on. They could have. They could have stepped in. They didn't. They went along with the lies. So please, I would love. I would love to be the one arguing about. Inflation? I would love to be the one arguing about uh, supply chain. I've written about all of these. Inflation is not real. The shortages are not real. People are still spending and they still get the products that they want, which means the the products are there. And guess what? Look at the bottom line of the corporations. Look at their profit margins. And see how it has skyrocketed. If the products weren't there and inflation was just there because of a shortage, the spike that you have in profits would not be there because it would mean higher prices, less products, which means just about the same profit. Okay? Or or, or same amount of money, not profit. The profit still would be larger, assuming that that wasn't money is coming in from the bottom of the chain all the way in price increases. So let's be clear here. Let's be very clear. Inflation, don't listen to CNBC, MSNBC, or any one of these guys that makes it look like these are just market forces. These are pricing power forces. I have a monopoly. I can price and I will price to whatever I want to price. And that is a definition of today's inflation. If we want to pump more oil, we can. If we want to bring more oil online, Venezuela is sitting on the largest ocean of oil, but because they have a society that won't allow corporations to just take that oil and and have it for the benefit of the few, the way it works in America, all oil on public lands in America, guess what? Should be all of ours, which means the profits after costs should go to not only the investors, but also to the American people because it's our oil. But nope, in America, the corporation gets it all. And they pay menial taxes on that. So we need to put that as your birthright is being stolen by corporations and sanctioned by Republicans, the people that are asking for your vote. Give us your vote, and we will make sure you have your school, your health care, your church, everything else you got. And we need to do that. We do that. It is carte blanche, it is victory. Folks, it is important that we understand these concepts until we learn to tell the message. And let me tell you, I'm no fool, and you are no fool. If you think the rank and file democratic leadership doesn't know this, you'd be fooling yourself and you'd have to ask yourself if they even deserve to be governing if they don't know what I've just said. They do. The problem is they're fighting two battles, Corporations are the evil, the evil entities in our society. They are the ones that do whatever is necessary to justify profits for uh, parasites that just buy stocks and sit at their pool and do nothing. You know, whenever I hear that word, uh, we have our, our our. I don't, I don't work. My money works for me. That is a definition of abstracted. Slavery, because if your money works for you, it means you are sitting at your pool sipping tea, while the profits that you make on your money comes from somebody else that is working on your behalf, and you are taking a big cut of what that other person is working for. And no, it doesn't. It's not how you are taught. It's another. It, we've taught not to think like that. Capitalism has taught us to be selfish and at the same time being selfish, thinking that we're being honorable. You're not. We are not. And I am saying we too, because yes, I probably have some sort of little bit of investment or whatever, who knows in, in some, some, something, right? So we have to understand these concepts, people. We have to understand these concepts and when we do when we do then things will change when we go out there and tell the message and do not depend on the democratic the leadership of the democratic party and all their ancillary and institutions to do the job you are going to have to do the job one person at a time five persons at a time but not only One and five, ten persons at a time. But you have to teach them how to do exactly what you are doing as well. I'm Igberto Willis, as host of Politics Done Right, a progressive radio media show on Pacifica Networks, KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, that engages all ideologies. I found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological. There is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books— I wrote the first one titled As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom to Describe the Entire Economy in a Manner We Can All Understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book titled It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It, gives us a place to land. After learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side, we point out what would make an economy that works for all. Each book stands on its own, but together they provide the full picture. Please consider getting one or more. You will undoubtedly learn, be entertained, and help us continue the mission with our blogs, articles, videos, and books. All right, folks, we have a lot of work to do, as you know, we have a lot of work to do, and I ask you to be a part of it. Please support us in however manner you can, because I tell you, there's a lot of work to be done between now, election, i going past here. So I ask you if you can go to politicsdonright.com slash PayPal to support us either a one-time contribution or on a bundle basis, however it works for you. Please go to politicsdonright.com slash YouTube to support us on YouTube, politicsdonright.com slash patron. Patron is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or go to politicsdonright.com slash books to get... Our books, the books that we, we have with all the different things that we talk about here and much more or politicsandright.com slash store to get our hoodies or masks or T-shirts, uh, mugs that you guys have designed here. And last but not least, the all-encompassing way that has the different forms in which you can support us politicsthanright.com slash support politicsthanright.com support I have it all on the screen right now please copy that down and find a way to support us uh, make sure that we can get this message out it is more important now than ever I know you know that I know you feel that and there has to be enough of us out there as I said before being fishers of persons to promote the message, not only in the areas that we know, but in rural areas, online, everywhere. And you know what's a good thing so far about Politics Done Right? We have people in every single domain ready to make a difference. So please support us at one of those links that you see on the screen. I'm going to repeat them for those that are on podcast. PoliticsDoneRight.com slash PayPal or PoliticsDoneRight.com slash YouTube or politicsandright.com slash Patreon or politicsandright.com slash books or shop at our store, politicsandright.com slash store and the place that has all our links that you can just click on, politicsandright.com slash support. So please, folks, please continue to do what we know we need to do to get done. I hope you enjoyed the program. We work hard to make sure and bring you all that we know is needed right now, so please again, uh my name is Egberto Willis. This is politics done right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what out we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand we try to find those little nitpicks where uh it goes it flies above the fray etc if you really like these videos that we do i want to ask a big favor please go ahead number 1 subscribe to our channel and number 2 please join if you can thank you so kindly for watching keep watching please remember to share we must populate the entire internet